All right, welcome back, everybody, to the fifth episode of the fourth season of the Building Life on Athletes podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Renicki. Thanks so much for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Today, we're talking all about why we really can't trust testosterone tests at face value. Now, it's not to say we can't trust any testosterone values, but we're going to talk about the nuance as to what we have to consider when we look at a testosterone result and kind of all the various things that can play into that. So we're going to talk about how we define normal testosterone, how age time of day, illness, and other things may affect testosterone as well. And then what is the variability inside of the test itself? And so we're going to, and even more on top of that. So we're going to talk about all these different things. So let's dive in right now. So overall, several challenges exist in the diagnosis and treatment of hypogonadism, including variability in testosterone assays, lack of consensus on normal testosterone levels, and poor objective measures for symptom assessment and therapeutic benefit. And so what that means is kind of the overview of, hey, we really struggle with, you know, understanding, hey, how do we diagnose this based on what unquote unquote normal levels are? You know, how do we measure outcomes? How do we measure symptom improvement? All these things, you know, why is there so much variability in these testosterone assays? So lots of different stuff, and we're gonna kind of jump into it here. So first, let's start with what is normal testosterone? So the first most confusing thing is there actually is no like consensus on what is normal. And so some people might think like, well, what do you mean? Like when I got the test, there's a normal range and isn't that normal? And the answer is yes and no. Yes. And that for that specific, you know, lab, they decided arbitrarily to say, Hey, this is the range that we're using. Although like universally, there's no one set range. And so strike number one right there in terms of testosterone testing is that there's no set normal number. So it's kind of weird. There's a multi-society recommendation, so a bunch of different societies throughout the world. They define it as total testosterone of less than 230 nanograms per deciliter. Um, in young men, that would kind of say, hey, they benefit from treatment. So if you're less than 230 and you're a young man, that you benefit from treatment. Whereas if you're greater than 350, you probably don't need therapy. But that's you know a couple of societies. And then the endocrine society here in America, they say the lower limit of normal is usually around 280 or 300 before they start treatment. And obviously that no man land is kind of like 300, 350, we're not sure. And so what we're saying here is even right now, these societies have conflicting normals, right? So depending on what society you're going with or what you're reading, they have different normals. The general trend though, right? So that multi-society guidelines said less than 230 is like, hey, you benefit from treatment. And the endocrine society is around 280, 300. So the international societies and the, you know, kind of multi- society consensus is around 230, whereas the endocrine society here is around 280, 300. Once again, I think we're kind of talking semantics here, as you'll see what we'll talk about later, what's not that big of a deal. But once again, they're generally in agreement that it's somewhere in the 230 to 280 ranges where we're kind of starting to think about that. And that's total testosterone, right? So total testosterone is probably the most common test, the ones most people check and they kind of have, and those are the ones that are just quick and dirty people get. But there's also free testosterone, right? And if you go back in previous podcasts, we talk about free testosterone. And the unshocking news is that it's even murkier here. So in terms of what are the cutoffs for free testosterone? Once again, the multi-society guidelines recommend checking free if we have a borderline low, right? So anywhere between 200 and 350-ish, they're saying, hey, you're kind of low let's check it and see. And then they say, if you check it in that situation, then thinking about 65 picograms per milliliter, that is like the lower end of normal. So below that would be abnormal. Once again, they're not saying, Hey, everyone should check the free, you know, the free tea. They're saying, if you have this borderline level between 200 and 350, that's when we check to say, Hey, is the free tea low as well? But once again, that's also kind of arbitrary in that there's not a hard and fast, Hey, 65 is normal. They're just saying, this is kind of where we see and where we think that we have that. So the evidence isn't fantastic, but it's kind of the best we have. And so Really, 
Long story short is even across societies, there's no hard and fast rule. And oftentimes local labs will have their own reference ranges. So they'll kind of say, okay, this is what we see in our general area. This is what we use. And so that's also kind of something we have to consider as well. On top of that, then we also have to consider age considerations, right? So the above reference ranges that I just mentioned are for quote unquote, normal, healthy men. And oftentimes it doesn't represent patients in real life. So normal, healthy, younger men, I should say. These people don't have obesity, any comorbidities, and most of them were less than 50 years old. And so, like I said, the majority of patients that I see who are coming in asking for testosterone or looking for testosterone and worried about that generally are in that upper 40s, 50s, and above. And so, like I said, I don't see a lot of patients in their 20s and 30s who are coming in looking for testosterone. Obviously, they're everywhere, and you can have hypogonadism at any age. I'm not saying that at all. But that being said, all the data that we have look at people who are quote unquote normal and healthy. And that doesn't seem to be the normal population that is looking for these tests. In the majority of the times that I see patients, you know, they're going to have at least one comorbidity. A lot of times they have maybe obesity or hypertension or sleep apnea, lots of different things going on. And so it's very rarely someone who's just young, healthy, no comorbidities. And the problem with that is if that's our reference range, then how the heck do we know what normal is for someone who has these comorbidities? It's really, we, we can't. And so on top of that, you know, comorbidities, we also have the age. Like, so it's really, really hard to tell on top of that, how aging affects testosterone levels. So even as we age, there's some questionable data out there in terms of people differ. So multiple studies show that there is an age dependent decrease in testosterone, meaning as you get older, testosterone sends go down. Some cohort studies kind of estimate that the total testosterone decreases by about 0.8% per year from about 40 to 70 with free T dropping about 2% every year. So as you age from 40 to 70 drops about 0.8 in that total testosterone, whereas it decreases about 2% in total testosterone. That's one cohort study or a couple of them that they looked at. But then on the other side, it does also seem like that might not be the case. And so there are some studies that don't suggest that true. There's a large cohort study showing that men age greater than 35 did not show age independent decrease in testosterone, but rather when they looked at things like obesity, smoking, chronic medical conditions, lifestyle factors, depression, marital status, all the different things, they found that those main factors, those are the kind of the main factors in decrease was all those different things and not necessarily the age. So it's not not entirely sure. And, you know, another piece of data people say is that, well, as you increase in age, there seems to be more cases of hypogonadism, meaning about like 20% of people at age 60 will have some sort of symptoms of that, whereas it's 30% in the 70s and 50% in the 80s. And people are saying, hey, look, at as you get older, you seem to have lower testosterone. But once again, what also seems to happen when you get older is you start to collect comorbidities. You start to develop hyperlipidemia, hypertension, obesity, all these things. And so is it age or is it these comorbidities? It's not entirely sure. And at the end of the day, it's not necessarily the most important to delineate that, right? And so in terms of, it really doesn't matter in terms of how we're treating, how we're looking at it. It can be a consideration, but once again, it doesn't mean by default, you're going to have low testosterone as you age, or it doesn't mean by, hey, you're young, so you can't have low testosterone. That's not the case. But like I said, just kind of understanding trends that, you know, the overall population does seem to decrease in testosterone as the age. But the real question is, is it because of comorbidities or not? Like I said, my approach will always be try to eliminate as many comorbidities as possible. And so we're going to try to take that out of the equation. And then once again, you take it by a case by case basis. Let's say you're perfect and you have no comorbidities whatsoever. You are at the the pinnacle of health and you're seven years old, but your testosterone is 150. Okay. That's great. Well then we're low. And like I said, in that case, we're going to treat each individual as an individual and we're not going to you know, worry about population studies or what it looks like. But that being said, it is helpful to understand that it is confusing and that that's why one of the reasons we have a difficulty with kind of getting these standard lab you know, values, values as we go kind of age as well. So it kind of really muddies the water. So we don't know what to expect, but once again, it's hard to define that normal. And that's what we're going to continue to think about.
Time of day of the testing also matters. It's quite important. Things like also time, sleep, and age are also dependent variables in testosterone level. Like we said, we've talked about with time, consider considering time and age, sorry, excuse me. Um, when you're young, so younger men in this study looking at age around like 25-ish, they had a peak testosterone between three and 8 a.m. So three or eight in the morning, so pretty early. Whereas elderly patients in their 70s had their peak around 2 p.m. So like I said, we still saw the general pattern that you know it got up there and then it kind of goes down. But that being said, obviously it was much later in the afternoon for patients in their 70s. So the young men, he said, three to 8 a.m. peak, whereas the elderly kind of had their peak extend to 2 p.m. So it's not that they had, they were climbing all day, all day until 2 p.m. They kind of got that peak early and then it stayed there till two and then went off. And they still had a similar pattern in terms of, you know, the young patients had a, you know, highest one there and then it kind of goes down all day. And, and the elderly also had that, but it was just more blunted. So it was kind of more curved off and less extreme. And so that's one difference although they do have similarities, right? The similarities, the peak in the morning, and then when it wears off, that's kind of arbitrary in terms of depends on the person to person, but generally will have a blunted effect of those peaks and valleys. So maybe not as volatile in the elderly as opposed to the younger. In terms of the time, like I said, I've also talked about morning the highest, but then another study showed that testosterone levels obtained at four in the afternoon are anywhere from like 20 to 25% lower in men aged between 30 and 40, and then 10% lower in those 70 year old compared to those who received at 8am. So if you got your testosterone checked at 8am versus 4pm, there could be a 20 to 25% difference if you're in the age of 30 to 40, whereas it's only like a 10% difference if you're at 70. But like I said, that's still substantial as well. And something to consider that that's why we really, really harp on getting it in the morning. Sleep will also affect this. You know, most, you know, if you listen to any, any sort of podcast I talk about, it's always gonna be like sleep is important. Yeah, uh, no, no duh there, but sleep can affect testosterone levels. One study showed a 32 to 39% reduction in free testosterone within 30 minutes of waking. So once again, it really peaks early and then starts to go down precipitously after that. Also, we might see elevation after naps. And so that's something to consider as well when checking it. Another thing to consider is ethnicity. It doesn't seem that ethnicity in and of itself seems to play a big factor, but geographic location may play a bigger factor. So I don't think it's worth diving that much deeper into that, but something to consider. And then genetics as well. Genetics can play a significant role in testosterone levels for some people, not everybody, but some people they've suggested, suggested that even as high as 52 to 66% of people of their change in testosterone or you know, testosterone levels might come from their genes. And so lots of stuff going on. All right, so next we're gonna talk about the variability. We've talked about time, we've talked about sleep, we've talked about age, all that fun stuff. Now let's talk about just the general variability that we see with testosterone levels. And there can be big differences in the same person on different days. One study that I saw showed that there was a 32% change on two separate days for some people. And another study found that about 10% change was seen when sampling levels over a 12 month period. And so let's just stop and take that back for a second. So you could get your testosterone test one day and then a couple days later, check it again. And there could be a 32% difference in that value. That's insane. That is a huge amount of variability. And that's why one test is pretty much nothing in the world of testosterone. And another study found that about 50% of men who were identified as having hypogonadism, so kind of using 300 as a cutoff. So if they had value less than 300, they had it. And then they on repeat, they were normal. So once again, crazy variability. That is very, very important. So it just goes to show that one value is pretty much worthless. If I can foot stomp one thing in this podcast, it's that if you get diagnosed with hypogonadism based off of one value, that is not the right way to do it. That is not valid. And I say, I, I definitely want a confirmation. I want to make sure we're actually treating something that you actually have and not just, Hey, you know, in this certain time I had it low, let's say you're also feeling sick, right? Let's talk about illness. Acute illness can also affect testosterone levels. One study looked at like the people with upper respiratory infections and found that they had a decreased testosterone between 10 and 30%. So once again, very big. That is certainly enough to put you in the swing from, hey, hypogonadism to not. And so that's something we have to think about as well.
All right, next we're going to talk about the assays used to get the testosterone test. So there's two main ways. There are amino assays and mass spectrometry. And like I said, this is not my wheelhouse. I am not a biochemist. Uh, I'm not a chemist in any way, and I'm not a microbiologist. And so we're going to talk about just the general concepts here, not getting the nitty gritty. But amino assays, essentially what this is, this is a tracer-linked testosterone that competes for testosterone in the sample for binding sites of the antibody. So like I said, what they do is they essentially have a tracer link to the testosterone that we're looking for. And in the sample, you know, what we have, we have a normal test testosterone that we have in some testosterone inside the sample and they measure to see how much that testosterone from the blood sample interacts with the test sample um kind of the antibody there so the tracer is going to be connected to the blood that we're looking at right and there's antibodies and blood inside the test sample and we're essentially seeing hey how much does this compete for that antibody that's like an immunomassay like i said a 10,000 foot view and then mass spectrometry essentially what we have here we have it ionizes serum compounds and then measures their subsequent mass to charge ratio so we kind of ionize the testosterone that we're looking for and then we see you know kind of use a fancy computer and technology and kind of say hey what is the mass to charge ratio that it emits that's how we measure that like i said way out of my expertise but those are kind of the two main ideas just so you understand like hey this is some complex stuff this isn't someone just like literally going in there and counting they're kind of some calculations that we have to figure out as well that being said they're very involved like you said there's ion ionized radiation and there's antibodies and all these fancy stuff and so because they're so involved they in and of themselves have a lot of variability within them so like I said, we're going to have lots of variability just within the test so and when comparing immunoassays to mass spec there are ranges anywhere from like i said they saw negative 14 to positive 19 in the overall samples and then when we started sampling less than 100 nanograms per deciliter we saw ranges from negative 40 to 40 percent changes and so huge changes so like i said we're going anywhere from the normal reading so above 100 which isn't even normal but if we're saying the not super low values we're still having variability anywhere from like i said negative 14 to 19 so a huge swing there and then if you get even lower it's harder and so overall they struggle even more at lower concentrations but once again lots of variability at every level on top of that there are additional factors which may account for variability of the results including how you handle the specimen how you prepare it calibration of the machine the you know specimen communication how can you move it how do you transport it how do you interface from the matrix material used to store it how do you transport all these different things that once again above my pay grade but there's lots and lots of variability so once again all these things like i'm just using as example these are nerdy long-winded examples of saying hey there's a lot that goes into this test it is not that simple and so we just can't take one sample at its face value that's what it is and so because of this this has been a very well-known thing that like people saw and like holy cow this is super variable what can we do about it? well the cdc stepped in and tried to have some standardization they're trying to standardize this whole process but honestly there's not a whole lot of labs out there you know if you go on the cdc website you can see hey participating labs and talk about all the labs across the world that are doing it and obviously some of these are big academic centers and so we get some good data there but they're trying really hard to kind of harmonize things in this standardization process, they require total testosterone to be within 6.4% when testing in the range of anywhere between 2.5 to 1,000 nanograms per deciliter. So before we talked about how as we got lower, we were not as accurate, but this standardization says, hey, all the way down from 2.5, which is apparently non-existent, all up to 1,000, which is through the roof, we should have you know no more than 6.4% variability. So that's pretty awesome. I'm really happy about that. Hopefully that starts to get more expanded, but like I said, that is some hope on the horizon that we're gonna have more standardization of this test. And then another question I wanted to kind of broach here is not necessarily direct lab measurement, but more about using screeners. So obviously if you go to your doctor, you're going to fill out what seems like millions of pages of paperwork asking you all these different things, but we love screeners in medicine. We love giving you screeners saying, Hey, how are you feeling? How's your mood? All these things. And we, we use these screeners. The question is, can we use these screeners for hypogonadism or low testosterone? 
or can we use these to keep track with the progress of the treatment or if the treatment's working? Like I said, there's been lots of things that we've tried. There's multiple screeners available, but overall they're just not great at actually identifying those with hypogonadism. So they're not recommended for screening or as surrogates for hormone testing. So that being said, they, they found that when you give them to people and screen, you know, people will say, yep, 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 I have these symptoms and they tested and they were, did not do a very good job of identifying those who actually had hypogonadism. So they kind of said, eh, it's not really worth it. And then also they, they found that it doesn't really track with treating symptoms as well. And so they don't recommend it for screening or for, you know, tracking symptoms. And the next thing I want to talk about is, you know, what these lab levels, how they correlate to symptoms, right? And so a lot of times how we define low free and total testosterone may affect reported outcomes, meaning that there's some threshold at which we start to see these symptoms, right? Like decreased libido, erectile dysfunction, muscle anabolism, bone turnover, all of those things, but we're not sure what that threshold is. And it's probably different for everybody. So what I'm saying is, you know, those societies talk about, is it 250? Is it 350? Who knows what not, but there's some threshold for when we start getting below that, we start having the classic low testosterone symptoms that were just talked about before specifically the sexual symptoms so there is some threshold it's probably different for everybody though so it's what we trying to use our best in population medicine to say hey it's probably between this age range or this this, this value here this is what we think but like i said it's really hard to identify that and the key is if we can identify that threshold then we can replace up to that threshold and then minimize the treatment because treatment above that probably has declining efficacy so what i'm saying is let's say for someone they start feeling symptoms at 350 right and they start going below that and say hey okay we need to get you back up to 350 or a little bit above that and that's when you start feeling good and you feel your symptoms back and that's great another person might be like well i don't start feeling symptoms till 250 and that's we go above and we supplement up to 250 and that's all they need and the idea is to use the least amount of testosterone possible right because when we give anything anything in the world there's always potential side effects and so if we can figure out that threshold that's personalized for each person we can supplement above that to give you what you need but not a lot more to help minimize any sort of side effects there and try to hopefully improve our outcomes and so like i said we do see though that testosterone supplementation has smaller effects in those who have higher levels so that being said when people are up there and they have four or five hundred and they say yeah i want to try it a lot of times we will try to give it and occasionally you know i've seen places do that and they just don't seem to have a good effect and so truly people seem to have the most benefit when they're very low and that kind of makes sense if you're essentially completely deficient you're going to have a better outcome than someone who has probably enough and there's other lifestyle factors going on and so that's what the general consensus is. Obviously, everyone's different and things are going to be individualized for every single person. But like I said, that's the general trend. And kind of wrap it up here. The million dollar question is, Jordan, why do we care? You know, why do I care about this? Like, I just want to try this or, you know, I heard this is better. My friend was a little better. Like, why do we care about all the nerdy stuff here with the testing? Well, it's important because we need to make a proper diagnosis. I can tell you I've seen lots and lots of testosterone clinics that start patients on testosterone after one single testosterone lab. And so usually it's like an afternoon when they come in, whatever, whatever time to the day for their consultation and they check your testosterone and it's low. And they say, hey, you got low testosterone, you qualify, let's get it going. And they start on testosterone therapy. I mean, to me, this is essentially malpractice. When you are just starting someone on what could potentially be years and years, if not lifelong therapy of something, after one test that's not in the morning that's not the standard of care because i think that's essentially malpractice and so it gives you this possible lifelong diagnosis right saying hey i now have hypogonadism and lifelong testosterone which has side effects like i said you're being tied to that and married to that for life potentially and i said that's confusing and once you are on it it can also be challenging to come off of it and so that's why i care so much about this because i do not want people to be on testosterone for years and years without any real improvement you know saying hey i i think i need to be on this i need to be on this because my t was quote unquote low and then you're on this and you start having side effects maybe you get increased hemoglobin or hematocrit maybe you have prostate issues maybe you have who knows what any of the myriad of side effects you could have and they all could have been avoided like for me that's really important i try to do 
the least amount of harm for my patients possible. Obviously the most, most good, but also the least harm because anytime we're doing something to anyone, whether it is a medication or an injection or anything like that, there's going to be some risk of harm. And we want to do the most good with the least amount of harm. And so like I said, that's why for me, I don't think it's crazy to have you get stuck with the needle twice to get labs twice. I know it's not ideal. It'd be awesome if we had a perfect test that we can get at once and have that and understand it, but we just don't have that. That is not the reality. And so we have to do our due diligence. We got to get those two morning tests to actually make this diagnosis and make a definitive diagnosis of hypogonadism. That's what I want to harp on there and say, hey, if that's been you, if that's the case, obviously things change and, you know, you should see your doctor about that and talk about, hey, was I ever formally diagnosed? Do I need to come off this? That's a whole different podcast we'll talk about later. But I want to just get this out there. If you've never had this before or you're thinking about getting your testosterone checked, please, please, please do it in the right way. Don't go to somewhere where they're going to give you testosterone no matter what. And they're going to check you in the afternoon. Like I said, I want you to do it the right way so that you get the right treatment for you and not something you don't need. And I also want to harp on lifestyle management, right? Most of the low testosterone that I see can be reversed with lifestyle. Um, but if not, obviously testosterone is indicated and that's okay. I, it is okay to ha- get testosterone. Like anything I've ever talked about in any of my podcasts, you're not a failure. If you need any sort of medication or supplement or anything like that, or intervention, like you're not a quote unquote failure. Like, I know I hate that people will say that in the world that like, Oh, you know, if you, you don't need to be on meds for high blood pressure, that's just, you're not working hard. You're lazy or whatnot. Like at the end of the day, like you can only control so much at the end. Maybe you only want to control, you only want to control so much, or you only want to try so hard. And that's okay. You shouldn't be punished for that. But obviously that being said, there are the vast number of people here who can reverse their low testosterone with lifestyle changes. And everything I've talked about in previous podcasts, in terms of sleep, diet, exercise, weight management, all those things play a huge, huge factor in this. And a lot of times it can be reversed with that. And so I just want to like get that out there. So people who are like, Oh no, like, do I need to be on testosterone? Like that does not seem, seem the case for everybody, but obviously everyone is an individual. And so we're always going to have different things for different people. And I always talk about that, that, Hey, what's right for you might not be right for someone else. And so, but I just want you to understand how we think about this, why it matters so much and then what the options are there. And so once again, that's been a whole long podcast here talking about, you know, why it matters. And like I said, I think it's important to get out there. I want to continue to lay that baseline of, Hey, testosterone is not this thing that we just like get a random test and do it because it's much more complicated than that. But I appreciate you sticking with me. Thank you so much. If you've made it to the end of the podcast, once again, you are a true, true fan. Cause like I said, this can get kind of into the nitty gritty. So I really appreciate it. If you did enjoy this though, if you could please leave a five-star review on Apple podcast or wherever you download your podcast, that would be really helpful. Or maybe you could share with a friend who may find this interesting or, you know, things you might, you might they might learn something from that. I really appreciate that as well. So once again, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Now get off your phone, get outside and have a great day. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that the science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.